I think a lot of times foster parents focus on the behavior and not the issues of behind the behavior. For instance, if I see one of my little guys in there lashing out, sometimes it's easy to just as a parent want to jump on that and squash the behavior when the reality is I don't know what's going on in their hearts and that may be their only coping mechanism because they miss mom and dad. This is the Foster Movement Podcast helping you work with others to provide more than enough for kids and families in foster care where you live. Here are your hosts, Jason Weber and Diego Buller. Hey, this is Jason Weber. Welcome to the Foster Movement Podcast. I'm here again with Diego Fuller. Hey, Diego. Hey, what's up, Jason? How you doing today? I'm great. How are you? Man, I am blessed. I'm doing pretty good. So I heard this story this week about uh-huh. uh, this thing. And you probably remember it from when you were a kid, uh, when David Copperfield made the Statue of Liberty disappear. Oh, right. That? Yeah, yeah. Most definitely. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I'm always fascinated uh, by magic. And, right. and so they talked about uh, how this, this trick was done. Now, we're not going to reveal that here on the podcast. Right, we okay. just don't have the time. <laughs> but you can Google it, right? Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it got me thinking about magic. Is there... If there was one magic trick that uh-huh. you could figure out how to do. Oh, okay. What would that be? One magic trick that that I could do would probably be, see, Jason, I, I try to work out because my wife liked me to be kind of cut and kind of, I guess, muscly. I don't know. How muscly. To, I, muscly, I guess. <laughs> we, can, we can actually muscly. It's muscly. Muscly. We can muscly. say that. <laughs> muscly. We're making up words. We're making up words. Podcast today. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, muscly. Yeah, I will say that. And so, uh, if that's a word. And so, um, so I've been working out a lot. And so, you know, working out, it takes some time. It's hard. It's sweat. And so, uh, if I can just put a blanket over my stomach and then remove it and I have some abs, I'll be all right just for a little bit. <laughs> I like that. I like that. And you could teach a, me how to do that. Right. It's just creating a creating a, a illusion like I'm like I'm cut. She won't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you know, you bring up a great point because uh, you know that's what magic is. It's an illusion. Right. What you what you see mm-hmm. is not necessarily the truth. Wow. There was wow. a truth. That's good. Behind mm-hmm. what you're seeing, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, we have a couple of amazing guests, a foster care alum named Lauren Lawson, and then uh, Ryan North later on in the episode. Okay, and both of them touch on this idea mm-hmm. uh, that sometimes the things that we hear from kids in our home or see in them, their behaviors. There's something else there. Oh, There's some definitely. truth behind yes. those things. And so we're going to talk about that. So I don't want to uh, delay anymore. Let's go and listen to this interview with Lauren Lawson. All right. I'm here in San Antonio, Texas with Lauren Lawson. Hello, Lauren. How are you? Hello. I'm good. <laughs> good. Good. So, Lauren, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your home growing up. Uh, My home growing up was a little scattered. Um, I grew up in my younger years, maybe four and under, um, with my mom having full custody and my mom and dad were divorced and my dad would visit us maybe every weekend, every other weekend. Um, And at one point, my mom sent us off to live with our paternal grandparents and it was my brother and I at the time and he's a year and a half older than me. And then for 
the next few years up to about fifth grade, we kind of went back and forth between my mom and my paternal grandparents, but it was always a very short amount of time with my mom. And then we'd spend a couple of years with my paternal grandparents. So after first grade, you were going back and forth pretty often between your mom and your paternal grandparents. And then in third or fourth grade, something pretty tragic happened with your grandparents. Yes. My my grandma developed a really aggressive cancer, and she passed away shortly after. So from somewhere in third or fourth grade, that happened, and um, that was pretty rough on us because it was like losing our parent. So then you stayed with your grandpa for mm-hmm. a little while, for about a year? Yes. And then your mom had a conversation with your brother? Yes. So my mom, at some point when I was in fifth grade, talked to my brother about moving in with her permanently. And I wasn't part of that conversation, and I um, didn't really get any choice that I can remember, but I really wanted to stay with my brother. So my only option was to go with him to live with my mom. And when you went back to live with your mom, what was life like at that point? So at that point, it became very clear that my mom was mentally ill. Um, I never noticed that being young and being around her, but... It was very clear that she had schizophrenia, she had multiple personalities, she was suffering from depression, and she was very suicidal and would often try to kill herself and then call 911 on herself, and they would come, and then we'd all move on with life after that. Pretty chaotic existence. Yes. So at what point did you then enter into foster care? So after a while, my mom left my stepfather and she left him for a woman named Vicky that she had met through her therapist that had a lot of the same mental illness she had. So the multiple personalities, the schizophrenia and all that. And um, she went to go live with her and there was kind of a hard and strange moment of um, my stepdad saying that he couldn't keep us and didn't want to keep us and us begging him to let us stay. And, um, and at some point, either my brother or my stepdad had a conversation with her that, um, that they insisted that we come live with her and Vicki. And so at that point, um, we moved in with them. Vicki had a couple of kids of her own and, um, and they were around our age and, but the house was just a mess. It was two ladies that, um, were suffering their own mental illness. The house was dilapidated. The, there were cats everywhere and it smelled like urine and, um, they were constantly trying to, um, convince us that the house was haunted and, um, and it was just kind of a mess. And, um, so at some point my mom, um, lied to my brother and I and told us that she had cancer and um and that we couldn't stay with her anymore that she didn't want us to see her die uh, we found out later that <clears throat> not only had she lied about having cancer but her and vicky stole a car and their plan was to travel the whole u.s to see the world or see the u.s if you will and then they were going to go to virginia was going to be their final destination and they were going to plan to take their lives together um, the plan failed um and they um, decided that they had this new zest for life, and that's where they lived for a few years after that. Do you remember the feeling of when your mom left you there? Do you remember what that felt like? I, I remember being disappointed. I, up to that point, had had 
a lot of moments with her where it was clear that not only was she mentally ill, but she was very selfish and um, that we were a burden to her. And not just because she couldn't handle us, but because she also didn't want to. And so there was definitely this feeling of not being wanted and being abandoned. But I got the neat opportunity to get to be with my brother. And I know some kids are by them by their, by themselves in this foster care world, but we had each other. So as cheesy as that sounds, that was really mm-hmm. a neat thing. So you and your brother together uh, yes. went into foster care. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was that first placement like? So the first placement um, was a a mother and a father set. They were kind of older. They didn't have any kids of their own. And my brother and I were the only kids there. And um, it was it went well. I think we were their first foster kids um, that they'd ever had, their first placement. And it went well for me, but not so well for my brother. So you moved to another home? Yes. And what was that home like? So the second home was a much larger foster home. And this was um, definitely a foster home that had been a foster home for a long time. They were very seasoned foster parents. Um, and this was a home that had four to six kids at any given time, all teens. And she usually tried to stick to one gender at a time. And when I moved in and, um, for the several years I lived there after it was a all boy foster home. So I was the only girl in an all boy foster home. Um, but it was in an effort to keep my brother and I together. And then you got some news, um, about your biological mom. Yes. When I was 15 years old, um, so I'd been placed in this home for a couple of years at this point. Uh, when I was 15 years old, I got a call from my caseworker that my mom had taken her own life, that Vicky and her had both tried to commit suicide once again, and that um, my mom was, I guess you'd say, successful at it. Um, and they took Vicky to a mental, a mental institution because she was alive still and um, after the whole event. Um, and, yeah. And so at that point, your foster mom pulled you aside and she asked you about adoption. Tell me about that. So she pulled me aside and it was pretty casual Mm -hmm. and she just brought up um, the whole idea of adoption and asked if I would like to be adopted. Um, She didn't ask my brother and I together. She asked us separately. And and at that point, I told her no, um, that I didn't want to be adopted. We still had a lot of connections with our biological family and I was still very biological family loyal like I still felt like if I somehow gave up my last name or my I'd be giving up my identity so I just wasn't ready at that point to be adopted do you ever regret that decision sometimes I feel silly as an adult looking back that it was so important to me because obviously I'm married you know and I and because of that have to give up my name you know my last name and and that I was so that I held on so tightly to that. Do you think there's something that an adult could have said to you at that time that could have helped you process through that? Or do you think it would have just felt like pushing to you? Honestly, I don't think it would have felt like pushing. Um, and probably, I, I hate to say my foster mom could have done things better because honestly, she did handle it really well, I think. But um, I mean, she could have brought up, just been transparent and said, you know, I mean, I think it's not an uncommon issue for a foster kid to feel like I might lose my identity if. I choose this path. Um, but for her to maybe say, you know, you're not going to lose your family. Your dad's still your dad. That kind of thing. That probably would have been helpful. Yeah. So. so when you think about your experience growing up and you think about the, the kids that you have in your home uh, and their experience, what 
makes you most passionate when it comes to foster care? What is the, what are the issues that you feel like we have to find a way to address this? Well, one is that I think a lot of times foster parents focus on the behavior and not the the issues behind the behavior, if you will. Right. So when, for instance, if I see one of my little guys and they're lashing out, sometimes it's easy to just as a parent want to jump on that and squash the behavior and tell them to knock it off when the reality is I don't know what's going on in their hearts. And they that may be their only coping mechanism because they miss mom and dad today. And today's just a bad day for it. So just focusing on the the stuff behind the behavior, the driving force. Right. There's a why yeah. behind everybody. Exactly. Right? So that's one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As you look back, if there's anything that someone could have done differently. Now, understanding that we can't change the past, but a lot of people listening uh, are currently in it. They're currently fostering. They're advocates. So these are the kinds of changes that we can implement now. Um, is there anything that you wish had been done differently in your story? I was in foster care for about three years before I was up for adoption. And although I did not want that from for me, I know that's a passion for a lot of kids. They just want that sense of belonging and they want to be part of something. And a lot of people don't necessarily have that extended family we had. I mean, we were able to talk to our grandpa on the phone still. We were able, I mean, my dad um, was had a relationship at a very far distance from us, but we could still talk to him on the phone kind of thing. Well, a lot of kids don't have that. And so I think... Um, we were also foster parents in the same state I was fostered. So what I, what I noticed is that that trend hasn't really changed as far as a child can sit in the system for a very long time without any parents present um, working any kind of services and um, and and not uh, and not lose their rights. And so although I didn't want to get adopted, I feel like a child being in limbo is a huge issue. And I know even with my little guys here in uh, in Texas. Um, Kids want answers, and they want to know what's going to happen next. And we can't, obviously, from an appropriate, from an appropriateness standpoint, we can't say we can't divulge in all this information we have because it could be damaging. Um, but at the same time, kids want answers, and they don't want to live in limbo. They want something, some sort of um, place to call home, and um, and people to call their family, and um, some sort of permanency without feeling like tomorrow could be the day I get picked up and moved. Do you feel like if someone had come to you about the adoption alternative earlier, because you said it took three years. Yes. Do you feel like your answer might have been different? I think it could have been. I mean, I you know, I think the older I got, the more I kind of felt like I'm, I'm already an adult. And, of course, that's, I think, a lot of teenagers feel like, oh, I've already got this all together. But I really did feel like as, you know, if I had to move out at 15, I'm like, at this point, we've had to be kind of on our own anyway. So I felt like I didn't need that support. I, I was ready just to go have my job and get my car and handle life on my own. And um, and, and that's probably was really naive for me to feel that way because I'm sure I needed a lot more help than I realized at the time. But that's where my heart was at. And so now to like 12 and 13 years old, that whole thing may have been very different. 
you mentioned that your foster mom came to you and your brother separately and asked you about yeah. adoption. What did your brother say? He said no as well. And he he shares a lot of the same feelings I do. We just both really felt like we had this giant web of family that we could still talk to and we're still our family. And so he also had a lot of that loyalty. You guys still close today? Yes, we are very close. <laughs> he lives in a different state, but we still get to talk over the phone and that. So he's one of my best friends. Thank you so much, Lauren. Thanks for sharing your story. And yeah. I know it's going to help a lot of people as they advocate, as they parent. Um, thanks for what you do. Absolutely. So, Diego, as I listen back to that interview, it makes me wonder, you know, mm -hmm. in your own story, mm -hmm. she talks about just for herself uh, and for the kids that she fosters, that right. there was a response or a behavior, and then there was something behind that. You know, she said she didn't mm. want to be adopted, but if somebody had maybe asked her a little more about that, that there was reasons why, and those fears could have been alleviated possibly. And then with right. the kids that she fosters, there's stuff behind the behaviors. Can you oh, think yeah. of a time when maybe you responded in a certain way mm -hmm. growing up that was related to something deeper? Yeah, I mean, like, even a time when, when my dad had told me that, you know, I love you guys, you know, and uh, I think it, uh, you know, it, I, re, you know, I seen that as in, like, okay, this dude is the enemy because I felt like everybody that told me they loved me was people that hurt me, neglected me, mistreated me, abused me, and done me wrong. So when he said, hey, I love you guys, you know, that made us rebel against him, you know, and so it was something that, that, that brought me back to a memory that I had when he said that. And so, and that's where my behavior was coming from. And so I would put all that back on him on what I dealt with because of what he, what he said to me. Wow. And so, uh, yeah. That's deep. That's, that's really hard. Yeah. And yeah. for him, uh, seeing those behaviors, mm -hmm. it, it's probably a little bit baffling right. to say, hey, I just, uh, I just said that I, I love you. Right. Exactly. I mean, what more intimate and um, endearing words could a person say to another person? Right. And yet, that brought up a lot of pain for you. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Well, we're going to um, get into uh, that a little bit more with our next guest. Uh, we had a chance to interview Ryan North, who is with the Tapestry Adoption and Foster Care Ministry at Irving Bible Church, and he's in, been involved with Empowered to Connect. What Ryan and his wife, Kayla, have done is train hundreds of couples from around the country how to train other parents mm. to parent kids from hard places. Right. He's going to share with us what he's learned about seeing the truth behind the behavior. Oh, that's good. Hello, Ryan. Thanks so much for being with us today. Hey, Jason. It's good to be with you. So you and your wife, Kayla, have been a part of training hundreds and hundreds of couples around the country to help families parent kids from hard places. Now, a little earlier in our interview with Lauren, she mentioned the importance in her own life uh, growing up and for her now as a foster parent to look beyond behavior that she sees and, and see what's behind it. Um, you know, and I know that's a really important concept to you and Kayla as well as you teach uh, all of these couples. Can you tell about a time as a parent that that truth really became apparent to you? Wow. Uh, yeah, good question because, you know, you mentioned the training. Part of that training, uh, we talk about how behavior is just an expression of a need. And so if you want to get to a place of resolution with your child, 
you need to not focus on the behavior, but you need to focus on the underlying need of that behavior. And so one of the things that, that we've really morphed over the years in our family is from saying, uh, what's wrong? What do you want? And just going straight to what do you need and, and drilling into that. And a lot of times it's, it's, it's a fear-based response. There's some anxiety. And if you can address the issue behind that, um, then you're going to get a place of resolution a, a lot faster. One of my um, go-to examples for that is what goes on around bedtime <laughs> in most homes um, is we see a lot of difficult behaviors at bedtime, kids not wanting to go to bed, kids uh, not staying in their beds, kids crying, kids getting dysregulated because they're afraid of being alone. We don't know anything about that. <laughs> well, that's why we talk about the bedtime routine a lot because everybody can relate to that one, right? It's, that's right. Yeah. So, you know, so a lot of, a lot of fears manifest at that transition part of the day uh, because all the fun has stopped, all the human interaction has stopped. Uh, and then our kids who really just want to be with us are separated from us. And so, you know, we have to do a lot of things uh, at bedtime. There's a lot of story time. There's a lot of sitting in rooms with kids. There's a lot of snuggling with kids because one of the ways that we can get the desired outcome that we're looking for, which is a quietly sleeping child who's getting the rest they need, is we have to address their fear of being alone, which for some of our kids um, is just is a fear of being alone. And, and that's developmental anxiety. But for some of our kids... Uh, who may have abandonment as trauma in their past. That is just really, really difficult because it's it's a, it's a reminder seven nights a week that this person that they want to be with, the parent, is leaving them. And it dredges up a bunch of old traumas, mm. but they don't have, they don't have the, the skill set to be able to uh, understand that and address that, what it manifests itself as, as, as screaming, crying, not staying in their bed, running around and, and doing a bunch of things that you don't want because you kind of you know, want the house to settle down so you can start your nighttime routine and get some rest as well. So I get that, that when a child exhibits behavior, maybe so the things they do or the things they say, we have to recognize that there may be a fear behind that behavior. We have to look beyond that and we have to address it. That's really easy to say, uh, but <laughs> when your kid is uh, yelling or um, doing something that might be harmful to <laughs> other kids in the family, yes. uh, having that presence of mind to, to to dig deeper is a little tough, isn't it? it? It's very, it's very, very tough. You know, one of the um, one of the twenty five parenting tools that's taught in the course is learning to regulate your, your emotional state. Uh, and so that is really, really hard to do. And so, you know, the parent who's actively involved gets emotionally involved. And when you get emotionally involved, then then your issues come to the front and stuff from your past that, that you haven't perhaps processed or dealt with. So the non-active parents kind of can tap. And we've just agreed that, look, whoever's not engaged with the child at the moment has the freedom when they can kind of see things are starting to simmer or start boiling to just come over and say, Hey, I got this. And, and we've had to agree that we're just going to have to walk away. Um, now that's easy at bedtime because we're both usually there, uh, during the day. It's not that, not that, that easy. Or if Kayla's out somewhere and I'm by myself, 
but really, really training yourself and, and constantly having that voice in your head say, this is a fear response. There's a need behind this behavior. You know, one of the, we had a moment at our house this morning over breakfast, and so one of the ways that, that I kind of interacted with it was taking a stuffed animal and, and being the voice of the animal and kind of made it the stuffed animal uh, interacting with the child instead of me interacting with the child. And that, for me, just created enough distance and enough of a reminder that what was happening wasn't personal. And from somebody screaming and yelling to having somebody laughing um, – was a little bit of time, but part of what allowed us to actually get to a good place was that I was able to not get emotionally intertwined in the, in the interaction and not take it personally. Awesome. Why do you think it's hard for us as parents to go beyond what our kids say and dig deeper? Wow. Um, that, that question to me asked a lot of questions. Um, because I think sometimes when we don't engage our kids, um, it's our own histories and anxieties um, that that are driving our behaviors. So I think that, yes, I think that a lot of times uh, our reluctance to do the hard work on ourselves um, is not is not good because it prevents us from being fully available for our children, and it prevents us from digging deep. It prevents us from leaning into into them and, and challenging them gently, so that they too themselves can grow. You know, we we recommend to so many people that they need to find a, a gifted, trained, experienced uh, counselor who can help them walk through some of the stuff that that they're that they're struggling with. Um, and for a long time, and I hope that it's different now, but for a long time, um, admitting that, that you were seeing a counselor or had a therapist was, was shaming for people. But I think that that asking for help doesn't prove that you're weak. It proves that you're smart. Mm-hmm. That's so good. So let's take this down to a very practical level. What are some things that a parent can do the next time they see some behaviors and they seem like, wow, those are, those are really big behaviors. I'm going to try to remember that there is some fear behind these behaviors. What does that parent actually do with that? So one of the things that that we tell people, and I think this is, this is important is that you have to become the world's leading expert in your child. Right. That's not anybody else's job. That's not the school teacher's job. That's not the Sunday school teacher's job. That is your job. So you have to uh, be observational. You have to, um, we tell people to journal stuff about their kids, things that they notice, because if you will engage in that task, then I know from our personal experience that over time, you'll be able to notice patterns and notice that when this happens, this is the triggered result. And so we'll start tying behaviors to root causes more than you will just go, oh, that's just a poorly behaved child. Because that's the thing we have to get past. Because if you don't look past the behavior, you're never going to see the child as anything but a poorly behaved child. Ryan, this has been so rich. And I uh, am grateful for you and for Kayla and all that you guys do to train so many couples to parent kids from our place as well. Thanks for taking the time to do this. Well, thank you, Jason. It is always great to speak to you. 
So Diego, that's such good stuff from Ryan. You know, one of the things that strikes me is he not only talked about the truth behind the behavior when it comes to the kids in our home or the Mm -hmm. kids that we're advocating for, but he talked about the truth behind our behavior Mm. as parents. Wow. Like when we respond uh, poorly, right? when we respond in anger, Mm -hmm. There's a story behind that. There is something right. a lot of times behind that. Like when right. we think about what really triggers us, like mm-hmm. why can our kid um, do a certain behavior and we we can be okay, we can roll with that, but then they do something else. Like mm-hmm. maybe it's lying or maybe right. uh, it's stealing. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, that's a trigger for us. A lot right. of times that's born out of something that we experienced as kids or or sometime in the past. And so there is a truth there that causes our Mm -hmm. response. Yeah, Jason, that's good. And I think, man, as parents, man, when a kid is acting out and you have to look deeper than where the um, behavior is coming from, because there's something behind that that's making that kid act out. You have to find out the truth about it. That's well said. So before we close things out today, we want to be sure and tell you about Stand Sunday. Stand Sunday, November the 12th. That's right. Second Sunday in November. Chance for churches across America to stand up together for kids and families in foster care. So we want you to go to standsunday.org and learn all about it. Learn how to do this in your church. There's materials. There's posters. Yes. um, There's all kinds of tools there that can help you do this in your church and stand up for kids. Amen. Who need you to? Amen. Please go. All right. Well, we want to thank our guests, Lauren Lawson and Ryan North, and we want to thank you for joining us. We want to hear from you, as always. And could you do us a huge favor? Leave us a review on iTunes today. That Most would definitely. Be, that would be great. That'd be awesome. Come find us on Facebook at the Foster Movement Podcast page and respond to our big, important question this week, otherwise known as our big IQ. Yes, sir. <laughs> our big, important question this week is this. If you could learn to do any magic trick, any magic trick, what would it be and why? Mm. Be sure to add the hashtag Foster Movement Podcast. To get today's show notes, just go to fostermovementpodcast.org. Again, thanks for all you do to speak up for kids and families in foster care. We're here to help you do that. Until there's more than enough. Have a blessed day. This has been the Foster Movement Podcast. Join Jason Weber and Diego Fuller next time as they and their guests help you work with others to provide more than enough for kids and families in foster care where you live. Hey, this is Jason and Diego again. Yes, and we're still here because there's a couple of things that we want you guys to know. That's right. First of all, be sure to download the free PDF we created, especially for listeners of this podcast. It's called Key Things Former Foster Youth Want You to Understand About Caring for Current Foster Youth. This thing is beautiful and full of wisdom and insight from those who've been there. And I'm telling you, you need to print these babies out and give them to foster parents and applicants you work with because these things are amazing. Just go to morethanenoughtogether.org backslash free download. That's morethanenoughtogether.org backslash free download. Also, as you know, 
The Foster Movement Podcast is a limited series of just 18 episodes. But listen, it's okay. Don't be sad. Here's why. Because there's more where that came from. Tell them, Jay. That's right. More Than Enough has produced a whole family of podcasts, one of which is called the More Than Enough Podcast. So to learn more, go to morethanenoughtogether.org and click on the podcast link at the top of the homepage, and they are all there. Hey, and one last thing. Thank you for listening. It's a privilege to be a part of your journey. Our team is here to help you work with others in your community to provide for children and families before, during, and beyond foster care until there's more than enough.